Praise be Jesus Christ, and welcome back to another episode of CarmelCast. CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. You can visit our website for more information about us and the books that we publish at icspublications.org. Where right now, if you're watching this episode during the months of December 2022 or January 2023, we are inaugurating or commemorating rather the uh, 150th birthday of St. Therese of Lisieux, who was was on uh, whose 150th, birth, 150th birthday we celebrate on January 2nd, 2023. And so to commemorate this, this uh, momentous event, we're offering 40% off the writings of St. Therese, as well as uh, contemporary studies of Therese, written by various uh, Carmelite authors as well as lay authors. So check out those titles at our website. You'll find a leak, link to that page on the, in the description of this episode. Today, I am joined by Father Daniel, uh, who is, serves at our province as our postulant master. Uh, Father Daniel Chowning serves our province as a postulant master and most recently served the order as a general definitor in Rome, uh, dealing with all of the administrative uh, work of the order. A very courageous job, I'm sure, <laughs> for you, and I'm sure you're glad to be back forming uh, young men to be Carmelite friars. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, good, Father Daniel. Um, today we're talking about the prayers of St. Therese of Lisieux. And so many people may not realize that St. Therese uh, wrote down actual prayers to be prayed, uh, maybe by particular people or by herself even. And uh, we've collected uh, from her critical, the critical editions of her writings in French, uh, a selection of those prayers that she wrote and translated them into English. And uh, this book, The Prayers of St. Therese of Lisieux, is available on our website uh, right now. And so speaking about prayers, uh, I think we can grasp you know, something really definitive about someone's spirituality by the way they prayed and maybe even the particular words that they prayed. Mm -hmm. And so these prayers have a, have a unique insight, I think, uh, into the spirituality of St. Therese, which we're really focusing on during this, this season of podcasts. And so to speak about Therese and the time in which she wrote, maybe the, sort of the general context of, of when she was writing, she lived in the late 19th century uh, in France and a time in a place that had a particular spirituality that was maybe prevalent at that time. How would you characterize the general trends in spirituality at the time that Therese lived? And is Therese, is St. Therese a good representative of, of her own era, or was she up to something a little different, do you think? Well, the, actually, the spiritual atmosphere of the 19th century France was uh, one of a victim spirituality. Mm. There was a strong expiatory, repertory spirituality prevalent in France at that time. A lot of that was due, first of all, to the French Revolution, the atrocities and the ex atrocities and the persecutions of the French Revolution, where the French people felt guilty. Uh, this was a strain throughout the church, this need to make reparation for the atrocities of the French Revolution, and also against the anti-clericalism. There was a strong anti-clericalism, there was an atheism. So there was all this movement towards this need to make reparation for sinners, for the blasphemies and the persecutions. So a victim spirituality was very, very prevalent at that time due to historical circumstances. Mm -hmm. the, the, French's, the French's defeat uh, from the Prussians, for instance, um, and other events, historical events that had taken place. 
And so within the spirituality of the time, there was this need to make expiation. And this victim spirituality, of course, was permeated in the religious life. And it was very, very present in the Carmel of Lisieux as well. There were several sisters who offered themselves as victims to divine justice. The, the, the image of God was one of a vindictive God, a God who needed reparation uh, for sinners. Um, I think probably the re revelations of Margaret Mary Alacoque in, uh, in Paris de Monial also contributed to that because that was a spirituality of, of making reparation for sinners. Um, and for blasphemies and for the atheism and all that went on in France earlier on as well. So that whole spirituality permeated also religious life. And several sisters in, their, in her Carmel also offered themselves as victims to divine justice. And so in that light, I think Therese was very revolutionary. I think this is what made her a great saint. She was given a very deep insight, profound insight, in that God is not a vindictive God who's going to sniff out sinners, but God is a God of merciful love. And this she came through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. She saw an image of God that was very evangelical, you know, the God of Jesus Christ, the God who loves sinners, who seeks out sinners, not to, make the, not to punish them, but to pour out his love on, upon them. Yeah. Yeah, and so when Therese is, is writing down prayers to, to commemorate various um, events in her religious life or writing down little prayers for people to pray, um, do you think that she's, she's doing a work of evangelization towards that, that, that view of God? She wouldn't have realized that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, she would not have realized that. That was not her intention. Therese reveals her heart. That's what's very beautiful about her prayers. I mean, she wasn't one who wrote a lot of prayers. She wasn't inclined that way at all. She wrote prayers for various particular reasons. Um, you know, her active oblation was a great event in her life, which took place in 1895, which maybe we'll talk about. She had the consecration to the, 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 sacred, the, the holy face of Jesus, uh, which was a consecration that in 1896 that she offered for herself and two of her sisters. I mean, her sister, then one of one of her novices. They were usually prayers that she wrote for other people for certain for certain purposes. You know, mm -hmm. it's like her poetry. Her poetry is the same thing. She didn't. She wrote poetry. A lot of her poetry for other people. You know, for certain events. But in those prayers, she reveals her doctrine. Mm -hmm. You know, indirectly, she reveals her heart and her doctrine. Yeah, and so we might someone might pick up this book and get the impression that this is how Therese prayed. Um, that's probably not a fair assessment because no, no. she's not necessarily writing these things for herself. Um, and they're beautiful prayers. They're very beautiful prayers. Um, and the, the sentiments and, and the, the spirituality that's, that's within them is very much Therese. Um, but, you know, we, we, I think it's, it would be a mistake for us to think that Therese would go to her time of prayer and just sort of rattle off a notebook of prayers that she had written. No, I mean, she tells us that, she says that aside from the divine office, which she said she wasn't worthy to, to pray, that she never liked these books full of these beautiful prayers. She says it gave her a headache. <laughs> she said there were so many prayers to choose from, she said it gave me a headache. She said, I'm like a child that simply goes to God and I tell God what I want. Mm -hmm. Like a little child who just tells God exactly my joys, my sorrows, and he always understands me. So she shows her littleness her, her, the simplicity of her prayer. 
that she wasn't one that, that liked that, you know, uh, uh, prepared prayers in, in prayer books, beautiful right. prayers, you know. But she, with the simplicity of her heart, she, just, she went to God as she was and she spoke her needs, her joys, her sufferings. And so any prayer that she writes is for a certain particular a reason. When she went to prayer herself, that was not how she prayed. Right, okay. So a little, oh, two years, a little over two years before mm-hmm. Therese dies, in 1895, she wrote one of her most well-known, not only well-known prayers, but most well-known pieces of writing, which is the act of oblation to merciful love. Um, and I think, you know, when St. John Paul II um, declared St. Therese a doctor of the church, he called her the doctor of the science of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that sentiment, that intuition that, that, and the knowledge that St. John Paul II had about Therese's spirituality really shines through this act of oblation to merciful love um, in many ways. Um, because in, it's in this prayer that she offers to God her desire, first and foremost, her desire to be a saint and her desire to offer herself as a martyr of love. What stands out most to you about this particular prayer, the act of oblation? Well, the act of oblation is not just a prayer. It's a whole way of life. It summarizes all of Therese's path of the little way. Uh, so it's not just a pious prayer. It really expresses the way she's lived, the deepest desires of her heart, and an image of God. It really corrects the divine justice God that was prevalent at that time. God is a, who, who looked for victims to make reparation. Before Therese, well, there's several events that, that, that anticipated this prayer, that inspired it. First of all, in, I think it was June the 9th, 1895, Trez came to this insight on the Feast of the Holy Trinity, how much Jesus desires to be loved. This was a very special grace given to her, that Jesus really thirsts for our love. And she herself was experiencing these, all this great desire to love Jesus to folly, as she would say. Um, the, the, in, these, these unrealizable desires. And how could she do so, see? And she wanted to respond to this insight that Jesus desires to be loved. And so she's going to offer herself as a vessel, a channel through which the love of Jesus could flow through her to the world. That's part of it. Secondly, before this, uh, this, this, she was inspired by this to write this prayer, which was spontaneously, she wrote it very spontaneously. Um, she had, in the, in the Carmel, they had read the the, the uh, necrology, the death of a sister Anne-Marie of Luzon Carmel. And she died a horrendous death, terrible death. And the nuns read this in the refectory. And they actually they were rather horrified by the way she, the suffering at the end of, the, of her life. And so Trez had this insight that instead of offering herself as a victim to justice, to God's justice, that she would offer herself as a victim to merciful love, to be the vessel through which the very love of God would flow through her and, or, and then into the world. In other words, she realized she could not love Jesus as she desired to love him. She had these unrealizable desires to love Jesus. To, she says to folly, à la folie in French, you know. But she realized she was poor to do it. So what would she do? She would offer herself as kind of a channel through which Jesus would love himself in her. You know, it's very, very beautiful. And so, and also, if you, I mean, there's a whole theology. If you read the prayer very, very, very carefully and, and thoroughly, you know, there's a whole, really a whole spirituality. Like, for instance, the, the holy face, you know, to always live in your gaze, 
you know, to pray for sinners, you know, to offer herself as a vessel of love, you know, for to satisfy Jesus' desire to be loved, and also to love, and to and also to make uh, to to bring the salvation of the world, say to say, to love others, let the love of Jesus flow through her to the world, to transform the world. So it really is more than a prayer, it's a way of life. Yeah. And it, 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 it uh, comprises, or at least it synthesizes the whole little way. Yeah. This, so this sister whose necrology they read in the refectory, she had offered herself as a victim of merciful love or merciful justice? Merciful justice. Okay, so I just wanted she, to clarify that. Yeah, no, she offered herself as a victim to divine justice. And so Therese was offering, wanted to offer something. Yes. She was impacted by that in a not-so-great yeah. way. And, and, was, also, yeah, and also there were two other nuns in her karma that offered themselves to divine justice. One was Mother Genevieve of St. Teresa, who was the foundress of the Carmel of, of, of Lisieux. She offered herself as a victim to divine justice. She was given this word in prayer, now is the time to offer yourself. She offered herself as a victim to divine justice, and she then she became ill with cancer. And for 22 months, she suffered a terrible death of cancer. Mm -hmm. At her funeral, the priest who, who, who preached at her, at her funeral mass said that, that her death was a sign that the Lord had taken her act of divine justice to heart. Yeah. All right. And there was another Carmel, another nun in the Carmel, who offered herself as an act to divine justice in, for, for the, for, to obtain the proclamation of the Immaculate Conception in 1854. And this nun, shortly after she offered herself to divine justice, she fell, she be, she fell into dementia and had a long period of dementia, so much so that she would scream throughout the day, and Mother Jean-Vier would, would have to sit with her. Yeah. And they saw this too as God taking, the nuns saw this as God had taken her prayer, you know, seriously. Okay, and so Therese, Therese was, was in her desire for something, uh, maybe a different way. Of course, we know that she suffered greatly at the end yeah, of her life did. as well. So it's kind of interesting, um, you know, offering herself not to divine justice, but to, to divine, to the merciful love of God. Yeah. She... She, it seems like her prayer was accepted under that same rationale. Tres was given a charismatic grace yeah. to understand that our God is a God of the little ones of this world, mm -hmm. that our God pours himself out in what is, what is, what is poor and struggling and what, is, what we would, would want to reject. You know? right. That our God is a God who really pours himself out in what is vile and, and sinful and struggling in life. And so this was her insight the, the, is God is God of mercy. Although she talks about justice, God's mercy is also his justice. Yeah. But she sees that it's God is merciful because he is just. Right. You know, but he's a God. When she read the gospel, she saw that our God is a God of the little ones of this world, the poor, the struggling, the sinners, you know, Mary Magdalene and all those sinners, you know, and that God is close to those sinners, especially when those sinners come offer all that they are to him. Mm -hmm. And so rather than punishing, God wants to pour out his love because he loves us infinitely. Yeah. We know that right now during the season of, of Advent, we're, we're reading through at Mass and in the, and in the Office of Readings, uh, readings from the book of the prophet Isaiah, which we know that St. Therese also read. When she, when she entered Carmel, and this is something that's not, not completely clear to me, she had the devotional child of the child Jesus. But at some point, the first by the time she makes her first profession, she's written, she writes out uh, as her full religious name, 
Sister Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face. Um, and, and the idea of the Holy Face is very prevalent in the book of Isaiah. So I, I wonder you know, how much of that comes from her reading of Isaiah. But she writes uh, several times in, in, this, in her prayers um, about the Holy Face and, and a spirituality of the Holy Face. And she writes a consecration to the Holy Face. Where did her devotion to the Holy Face of Jesus come from? And where do we place this devotion within her spirituality? It's a very good question, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people know. They don't think they've really read her enough to understand that the, her devotion to the Holy Face of Jesus is very, very much a part of her spirituality, and that it dates back to her early childhood. Her family belonged to the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face. The Holy Face devotion was promated by a Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, you know, of the Tours Carmel, mm-hmm. whom the Lord gave her this, I don't know, this understanding of, of that. Well, he, he, the Lord taught her a prayer called the Golden Dart. Mm-hmm. It was a prayer for, against the blasphemy, you know, to make reparation for the blasphemies, to make reparation for the blasphemies against the holy name of God and the holy face. And there was a holy man called Léo Dupont, Dupont, who also was promote, promoted this devotion for about 30 years. And the Martin family belonged to the Archcon fraternity of this. And it was a devotion in order to, to make reparation again against the, against the holy name of God and, the, and of Jesus Christ. So this is part of what she entered, when she entered. But then when she entered Carmel, the, some, certain things happened. First of all, to back up, when Therese was maybe 13 or 14 years old, she read the life, well, maybe 13, she read the life of Joan of Arc. And she wanted to be a saint, but she realized that her sanctity would be something that would be hidden from others, that, uh, that her glory would not be seen before others. It would be a hidden glory. And so this, this kind of is very much a part of the Holy Face devotion. When, she, when her father became ill, uh, he was uh, committed to, to Bon Sauveur Mental Hospital, you know. The Holy Face became very important for her at that time. That's when she added that on her name, right around the time that her father was admitted to the Bon Sauveur, because she saw that her father in his mental illness and the humiliation uh, in his humiliation, that they saw this a great humiliation, that underneath him was this great, was this holiness. And it was though masked by this, by this, this, this mental illness, see. And also part of it was she had this desire because of her devotion to the Holy Face, her, her, her reflection on it, you know, um, was from, from Isaiah 53 and from the devo- and from the, what she knew before on the Holy Face, that she wanted to be hidden and ignored in her life. This is very much a part of her devotion to the Holy Face that she wanted to be ignored and like a grain of sand. She says it 31 times in her writings. I want to be, I want to be overlooked and, and like a little grain of sand. And the reason for that was to imitate Jesus who was hidden in his passion. Mm-hmm. That in the Holy Face, you see about the, the, the love of Jesus Christ, the infant love of Jesus Christ towards humanity, but it was hidden, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And she wanted to imitate that. And it's a very interesting part of, of, of her spirituality because when she entered Carmel, the nuns saw she was a very she was a beautiful little young lady. She was very pious in that, but there was nothing really special about her. She, but as she entered more and more into the community, she was more and more hidden and overlooked. 
And so her desire to be overlooked and hidden was part of the devotion to the Holy Face. This was, of course, became very important for her at the time of her father's illness and his humiliation, what they call humiliation, because at that time, being admitted to the mental hospital was very different than today, you know. And so to imitate uh, Jesus' life, his hidden life, to be hidden in God, you know. She also read a book, a very important book by Bossuet, called The Life, The Hidden Life in God, which inspired her greatly. And it was about how we live a hidden life in Jesus Christ. Not to be recognized and esteemed by others, but to do things purely for the love of Jesus, purely for the love of Him. Not to draw attention to herself, not to be something special, but simply for the pure love of Him. So it represents her desire to love Christ purely, and then also to imitate Him. Also, the Holy Face represented for her the infinite love that Jesus Christ has for us, what He did for us. Mm -hmm. And so... That's, it's, it's, pretty, it's a very important theme for spirituality. And it's a very deep one. That, a very, very deep. I mean, it covers the whole gamut from the, the passion of our Lord, uh, the, the prophecy of Isaiah, the suffering servant, yeah. that, that idea of, of, that, of that hiddenness, the idea of, of just the, the, the service of, of the suffering servant. You know? yeah. And so I think all of that is sort of encapsulated within. And I think it, it ties in really nicely to um, Manuscript B, where... Um, where St. Therese speaks about her vocation to love as well, because yes. there's this aspect of the, her desire um, to serve the church um, and, and how that sort of manifests for her and to be love at, at, the, um, at the center of the church, at the heart of the church. And it's not, a, it's not a prayer that we find in this book. It's a prayer that comes in the story of a soul. But yes. what do you think about um, that particular section of story of a soul as sort of a, a, a prayer or an offering? Well, it is. I mean, the, the, the manuscript B is, is, is a prayer. The first part that we have is, is, is her response to Marie of the Sacred Heart, her sister, who asked her to, to, to share with her her little doctrine, as Marie said, Teresa's little doctrine, why she was on her retreat that might be her very last retreat. And so the first part of it, Therese responds, says uh, that she talks a little about the, you know, that the way is one of abandonment and confidence. But then she said, I will write my little doctrine, but I will address it to Jesus because I express myself more deeply and better if I, if I, if I write it as a prayer to Jesus. So whole manuscript B is a prayer. It's a prayer that reflects, it's the charter of the little way, mm -hmm. as Conrad de Meester in one of his books used to say, he, he wrote, he said, it's the charter of the little way. And it is a prayer that expresses the, the, the deep movement of her life you know, really, it, it, caps, it, it synthesizes, you know, her whole, her whole life, you know, in terms of what her great desires is, you know, and how she saw her vocation in the heart of the church. And you can really see the sort of the extemporaneous <clears throat> nature of that prayer. I mean, there's everything, things are underlined, things are all in capital letters, things are, there's multiple exclamation points. She's really expressing uh, as much as she can in typographical, uh, yeah. oh, typographical way, well, handwritten way, really. Uh, her her excitement and her and her energy behind this 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 uh, very uh, spontaneous prayer. It it's a very passionate prayer. Yeah. It's spontaneous and it's passionate, and you can tell that it rises from the depths of her being because of the cap the capital letters, the underlying, you know, the 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 passion with which she wrote it. 
you know, it really is a, it, it is really a work of the Holy Spirit. In comparison to maybe some of the prayers that we have written in here, do you think that that the the uh, manuscript B represents more clearly how Therese may have, may have prayed herself? I mean, it, it's speculation, obviously, but what do you what do you think about um, that being a rep, more representative of of the way in which she prayed? Well, I think the way, you know, she tells us that for her, prayer is an aspiration of the heart. It's a glance towards God uh, in, in, in good times and bad times, you know. It's, so I think that in terms of the manuscript B, it is an aspiration of the heart, a very deep, passionate aspiration of the heart, a looking towards God, you know, an expression of the depths of her being. Um, I think that that for her, it, it shows the, the radical simplicity and the authenticity of her prayer, that when she prayed, she prayed for the depths of her being, you know, um, as she really felt. She was a very passionate, even though she was in great dryness, mm-hmm. and she was in darkness when she wrote Manuscript B. She was in the night of faith. We must remember that. She was in the night of faith, you know, coming to the night of faith. And so that uh, when you think about the night of faith and how she expressed herself in the midst of her darkness, it's an amazing thing, Yeah, you know. I mean, of the 54 poems that she wrote, you know, uh, 31 of those poems were really prayers. Right. So the poetry, too, shows you some of her prayer. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say exactly what would be most significant, uh, I mean, a, a example of her prayer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what the most, what you say, how did she really pray? You, you read all of her writings, you know, she prays with, from the depths of her being in her heart, what she really feels yeah. and what she desires. She said, I, I, I pray the way I desire. She was mm-hmm. the darkness of faith, you know. Right. I write the way I want to believe. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful testimony, particularly to those who, who maybe have been feeling more uh, of, or a lack of, of spiritual consolation in their own spiritual life and um, the recognition that, that, uh, that, that you know, love is, is an act of the will. I think, too, I think if you, t- if you go back to, I think the real example, now that I come back to your question, which is a very good one, I think that the, in Manuscript B, she talks about the parable of the little bird mm-hmm. who stays there gazing at the divine sun, even though the sun is obscured by the clouds and darkness. And the little bird stays there no matter what happens, the rain and the cold, and even if it goes off and is distracted with something and comes back and makes and has, has its infidelities and that. But the little bird stays there, you know, gazing uh, towards the divine sun in the darkness. That is the prayer of St. Therese. It's a theological prayer. Her prayer was theological. By that I mean it was a prayer of faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. It was a prayer that was confident in God's merciful love in spite of the darkness that she, that she experienced in her life. Yeah. To me, the parable of the little bird, even though for some people it might seem to be very childish, but it really is a very, very profound parable, uh, an example of the prayer of St. Therese. Yeah. Well, one more example from something that actually doesn't come from, from this book because it happens to be my, one of my favorite prayers of St. Therese, it comes from a letter that she wrote to Maurice uh, Bellier, uh, which in a, in a previous episode in this season, uh, Brother Isaiah and Brother John Mary introduced the, the figure of Maurice, so we don't have to go too much into who he was. Um, he was a missionary seminarian uh, studying for the priesthood who wrote to the Car- Lisieux Carmel to, for a, a spiritual sister, essentially. 
Um, but this is one of my, my pr favorite prayers of Therese because it speaks a lot into Therese's spirituality because the prayer is one that she asked someone else to pray for her. Mm -hmm. uh, so she writes to Maurice in a, in a letter, I think it's, you said 220? 220. Letter 220 uh, to Maurice, and she says, pray this prayer for me. Um, and so we can catch a glimpse of the simplicity in this prayer by which Therese was seeking to be a saint. And as an intercessory prayer, um, it, it's essentially an intercessory prayer where Maurice, uh, Abbe Maurice is asked to ask God uh, very simply to grant Therese, Sister Therese, the grace of making God loved very much, which mm -hmm. we've, you've spoke into that a little bit, that idea, that insight she was given of to make God loved. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that this is one of your favorite uh, letters of, of Therese. So yeah, yeah. What, do you, what do you make of this, this idea of, uh, of this prayer and the simplicity in it and this, this um, desire of Therese to be granted the grace of making God deeply loved? Well, I think that, that kind of synthesizes her whole, her whole vocation. Yeah. She said, I desire to love God and make him loved, you know, to love Jesus and make him loved. And she asked, actually, as she asked Father Roulon the same thing. She said, Every, when you pray, pray that the Lord will enkindle me, embrace me, embrasse-moi, in French, you know, that he will, he will enkindle me uh, in his love, you know, that I will be, I will be uh, enkindled with the love of God. And so the prayer that she asked Maurice, you know, speaks again to, first of all, she begins with merciful Father, merciful, merciful mm -hmm. Father, the mercy of God, you know, uh, and our gentle Jesus, and through, and other Blessed Virgin Mary, the saints, I beg you to enkindle my sister with the grace to, uh, with your divine love, so that I may love God, by, I will make others loved. And I think that expresses the whole spirituality of St. Therese, you know, the merciful love of God, the desire to be enkindled, with a love of with a divine love in order to make and also to make God loved as I love him yeah and not not to not to it's not not necessarily a, a being enkindled in the sense of 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 feeling like you're on fire with the yeah, love of God yeah. always too which I think is is yeah. an important aspect of Teresa's the French word is embrassé embrassé and I I've struggled with the translation of enkindle, mm -hmm. and I don't know what I would have to put it. But embrassé is it, it has a different quality, to be to kind of be seized or lit on fire, <laughs> lit on fire, lit on fire. I mean, enkindle just doesn't seem to give it get it yeah. from me, you know. Yeah, enkindled you know? is like a fireplace. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But he said embrassé, and she said the same thing with with Father Roulon, that he would embrasser moi de son amour divin, you know. That he, uh, and so. It's it's um, she wanted to be she wanted to be in uh, f in full of the divine love mm -hmm. to be seized by divine love to be penetrated by divine love and in that to make God loved as she loved him mm -hmm. to make the merciful love of God known really what it is this is where her missionary spirit comes from I want to make Jesus known the love of God known so that people will not be afraid of God but they will surrender themselves to divine love as I have. And I think the prayer encompasses that. It encompasses her, her belief in, in God as merciful love, the gentle Jesus, the power of the saints, and also her desire to be, to be united to divine love, to be overcome, to be united and kindled, whatever you want to say, uh, with divine love, and then the grace to make God loved, which is her missionary. Everything for Tres was for other people.
For Saint Therese, happiness is that other people be happy. Yeah. That other people be feel loved. That's that's Saint Therese. It wasn't just I want to be happy. Yeah, she did. But her her desire was that people God will know that people will know God's love for them. And that's what's made her happy. Uh, Father Daniel, thank you so much for, for being on and for all of you, uh, thank you for tuning in and our prayer for you, uh, wherever you are, whenever you're listening or watching to this, that you be granted the grace uh, of making God uh, deeply loved and being uh, set aflame with the love of God. Thank you. Thank you.